Hello and welcome to Amplify. That's Kyrie from Hymn to Gaia by Eric Sweeney, who sadly passed away in July. And we feature a special tribute this week to Eric, where we'll hear from a number of contributors who knew and worked with him. This is episode 25, and I'm pleased to be joined as always by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. How are you, Yvonne? Well, Jonathan, thank you. We're into the second series of the podcast, and like so many things, who would have predicted the issues we'd all be dealing with as a result of this pandemic? Absolutely, Jonathan. Still dealing with these issues six months on and a bit of a stop start feel at the moment, really, isn't there? With a a lot of arts organisations, venues, performers who planned a lot near the end of the summer and then had to rethink everything when new restrictions came in a few weeks back. So a particular challenge there a few weeks ago for Culture Night, where people had to really reimagine their uh, their programme and perhaps move to an online performance or online content. And, uh, you know, rehearsals very difficult for for people to find rehearsal space unless you have your own building and it's big enough to accommodate the the social distancing restrictions difficult for people to collaborate of course as well uh, unless that can be in an online context so so many challenges uh, still at the moment although of course as you would expect with artists everybody being very imaginative in adapting and a lot of adapting has taken place over the last few months in in how we all do things and uh, great to see some new work over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, Jennifer Walsh's Ireland a data set from the National Concert Hall on Saturday night and a broadcast of Roger Doyle's electronic opera Eye Girl on, on Lyric on the same evening and new work from Ryan Malloy of course too in the Irish Chamber Orchestra's Bach with a Bang concert. You know, a lot of uh, new works being created even in this challenging time, which is 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 great for audiences. And we hope to bring you some of those uh, new works and projects as they happen over the coming months and cover them on this podcast. And so on to this week's episode. And as we mentioned, we're devoting the entire show to Eric Sweeney who sadly passed away on the 21st of July last. And Yvonne, Eric has made a big contribution to music in Ireland. Right across the board, Jonathan, you know, as a composer, as a a very engaging teacher, nurturer of younger talent, as a a fine organist, very fine musician. And um, I would say also that, you know, as the artistic director of the Waterford New Music Festival, which was a really big contribution to the kind of national annual diary of of new music events. And it ran for a good many years. You know, I have very fond memories of Eric uh, during my time working at the music department at WIT. I was a very young and inexperienced lecturer and he made me feel very welcome and supported. He made everyone feel very welcome. 
you know, right throughout this this feature, Jonathan, you've selected a, a beautiful representation of Eric's work. A number of my favourite pieces have made it in there. And the duo, which is a really great piece, so many different versions of it, and uh, was used on our promotional CD. And that wonderful choral work, There Is No Rose, which features on, on Choirland. And it's a very fine choral work. It's a big favourite for choirs both in Ireland and internationally and, and really enjoyed uh you know, by so many choirs in performance. And uh, it's a special, very, very special work. And Eric's music, you know, it's it's very engaging and it's very unique in its style, these infectious rhythms and infectious melodies and a lot of the works having the driving rhythmic force going through them. And uh, a lot of the works have that immediacy for the listeners. And uh, I think he's left a wonderful body of work, Jonathan, for us to enjoy and for performers uh, to bring to to a wide audience. So we'll hear now from composers Gronia Mulvey, John Buckley and Ronan Gilfoyle organist David Adams and musicologist Hazel Farrell about Eric Sweeney, his life, music and a sizeable contribution to music in Ireland. He was such a vibrant character, a wonderful uh, mentor for me for many years. There was an absolute urge for him to compose. The music that he wrote came from his heart and therefore communicates with the listener. And for that reason, I think it will remain in the Irish canon. Eric was totally dedicated and committed to his art. He had a wonderful generosity of spirit that he gave to fellow musicians, to his students, to the groups that he conducted and worked with. And he was just such a supportive uh, personality. He has contributed so significantly, not only in the depth of the repertoire that he has, but also how he was an advocate. Eric Sweeney was a very nice man. He was warm, he was friendly. He was just a really good person, as well as being a great musician. And I'm really grateful to him for what he did for me as a as a composer and at the same time i'm also grateful that i knew him as a person my name is john buckley i'm an irish composer and academic Eric Sweeney has made a significant and sustained contribution to the musical and indeed broader cultural landscape of Ireland since the late 1960s. Uh, his contribution, in my opinion, is fourfold. Firstly, there's his large and distinctive body of finely wrought original compositions it's across a broad range of music. There are five concertos, two symphonies, instrumental music, choral music and so forth. Secondly, his contribution as a performer has been outstanding. Uh, he is a pianist, a very fine organist, and a superb conductor. And he did a lot of work with various choirs, in particular the RT Singers, and his own Eric Sweeney Singers over the years. Thirdly, of course, there's his commitment to teaching and lecturing, an almost legendary status that he has achieved there 
in the Waterford Institute of Technology, where he worked for so many years. But fourthly, there's another strand to his musical contribution, and I would describe that perhaps as his musical advocacy. He served, for example, in the Arts Council. He was on various committees. He broadcast. So it's a huge contribution across a wide range of activities. And I'm pleased to say that Eric and my musical trajectory, so to speak, crossed on almost all of these aspects of his work at various stages throughout our careers. I'm David Adams and I'm an organist harpsichordist and I'm a lecturer in the Royal Irish Academy of Music. Eric is my first cousin. His mum and my mum were sisters and he also gave me my first piano lessons when I was aged about six. He was a, a, a great teacher, very gentle with a small child like me. Then I became a, a choir boy in St. Patrick's Cathedral and I think at that time he was assistant organist I just remember him flying around on his bicycle around the centre of town. He conducted the RT Singers between 1978 and 1981. And I had a lot of close contact with him in those days as I was writing works for the RT singers that Eric conducted. He was an absolutely marvellous natural musician. He could sing all the parts himself for a start and he could hear with absolute clarity the smallest discrepancies and he could shape a piece as well. He had a great understanding of what made a piece of music work. My name is Dr. Hazel Farrell, and I'm the programme leader for the Honours Degree course in music in WIT. We grew up with Eric nearly as undergrads, and we would have been in the choirs and the orchestras, and he, as a conductor, brought the music alive for us. We had this buy-in to it because he had made it so relevant to us, and, you know, the imagery, the stories, he just intrigued us with all of this. So it was like we were sort of living the music. He was extremely encouraging, didn't cover anything about his own work. That's Grainne Mulvey, composer and head of composition at TU Dublin Conservatoire. And was happy to impart as much information to the students as possible. Being an excellent composer as he was, having many performances abroad, etc. He had many good pieces of advice to give. Ronan Guilfoyle. I'm a jazz bass player and a composer and I'm also the director of the Centre for Jazz Performance Studies at Dublin City University. I think a good teacher has a combination of things. One is that they need to be able to look at you in a way and decide what it is you need 
Secondly, they need to be able to give you that information in a way that you can process it. And thirdly, they need to inspire you to make you want to do the work. And that's what he definitely had for me. I mean, it was a long drive down to Watford. You know, it was a two and a half hour drive for a one hour consultation with Eric. And so it was a five hour round trip at that time. And I never resented it for a minute, you know, never didn't want to do it. The drive back was always great because I was either listening to something on the CD or thinking about something. I didn't do a traditional music education in the sense that I didn't have a bachelor's degree or anything like that. I, I just learned to play and learned to write by learning to play and learning to write. I ended up doing a master's degree in composition at the age of 50 under Eric as my supervisor and I had a great time doing it. One thing is he never tried to force a style on any of his students. I think that was the great testimony to his teaching as well. He was open-minded. It was a department that he made you know, everything available. There's no set aesthetic that uh, he would follow. We had this great diet of many different types of musics to explore. He always thought that we should aspire to be as best as we could. And I remember at the time I was there as a student, the course hadn't been sanctioned, the BA hadn't been sanctioned. So he had made us, you know, elevate the standard and not to be afraid to think beyond what our capabilities were and to strive to be much better as students, etc. I came away from that feeling invigorated to follow on. The first work of Eric's that I think I heard was a piece called Canzona. I first heard it in the 1974 Dublin Festival of 20th Century Music when it was performed in St. Patrick's College, Drumcondra, with the RTE Symphony Orchestra conducted by Colman Pierce. It's a work of stark modernism. It has a dark, brooding intensity interspersed with more lyrical passages. And I think it's typical, perhaps, of the style of music that Eric was writing for the first, perhaps, 20 or at least 15 or 20 years of his career. Later, he was to adopt a different, more consonant style. I won't really say tonal, because it doesn't have the implications of tonality, but it was more consonant in its style. I think a transitional work was perhaps Symphony Number no. 2 of uh, 1987, uh, where, particularly in the third final movement of it, there are elements of repetition coming into the music. Now, it has some of the starkness of Canzona in it, but it also has some of the later style, which was to be more perhaps minimalist in approach. The sort of unique thing was the connection he made with the Irish music and the similarities between minimalism and Irish music that it really started to make sense. And then I feel like his music from that point onwards was far more um, successful as the wrong word, but it was far more appealing, I think, to audiences.
what was really, really interesting at that time, he had gone through a stylistic change really in the 80s and he was looking at, you know, the way he was looking at Irish music and how to use it structurally as a foundation in a piece. And he would just kind of break it down and pare it down to the bare, well, the bare tune anyway, but pare it down to kind of like the salient motifs and use those as structural foundations or as ostinati patterns. I definitely think that Eric was writing for the people. Do you know, he wanted this music um, to be loved, to be enjoyed, to be appreciated. And that was very much his step away from the serialism, the atonality, all of that. That enabled him to do that. But he went above and beyond, you know, in my opinion. For a guy of his age, now I don't mean to say that he was very old, but, but he came up in that modernism period, right, in contemporary composition. And to start to change your horses in midstream like that in mid-career speaks for a certain bravery and it certainly suggests a passion for and a belief in that this is the right thing to do artistically. is one that always stands out because that was one which you know sort of started off the Irish sort of integration and it was also highly rhythmic and also the aleatoricism is something that we probably should mention too Eric was very much about this freedom where whatever instruments could play his compositions in his keyboard works for instance he was surrendering that control you know that the conductor was not going to be controlling or involved with interpretation he was handing it over to the musician so in all of those moments like pulsations and drive and you decided you would move on when the material had been exhausted sufficiently as you know this sort of terminology he would use I remember saying him saying to my mom one time she she of course was very disparaging about his music as as she was about any music written after the 19th century. <laughs> I remember him saying to her that he could dispense with all the music before the 20th century, as long as he could have that music. I mean, he was very much rooted in the in 20th century influences, even though his background would have been the classics. Eric was very much uh, a fan of improvisation. And you see that actually with his own performances as well. You're aware of his organ improvisations along to the silent movies. You know, a phenomenal musician to be able to actually pull that off. In 1997, I made an album called Dev Shirma that was combined extended form composition with, with jazz improvisation. It was a major step forward for me as a composer and as a performer. On foot of the recording coming out, I managed to get some concerts around the country. And one of the concerts was in the Garter Lane Arts Centre in Waterford. But it was a double bill with Eric's group. And the intermission, Eric came in to me and he said, I have a very strange request. He said, do you think it might be possible for you to play the last piece with us for the, your band? At the end of the very last piece, Eric stood up and said, I would like to invite. And we, and we came and we improvised with his band. I thought it was quite a bold thing to actually suggest that. He was willing to take the chance with his music 
and have us come and trample all over it. Because his brother Peter was such a personality and so flamboyant and he was like an organ superstar, it tends to get overlooked that Eric was extremely outstanding organist. He managed to study with two of the greatest organists in Europe at the time, Claude Peters and Fernando Germani. In later years then, he's come back to the organ as a performer much more. The result of this is that his music is very comfortable to play. Um, it doesn't mean it's easy. Some of those organ works are extremely technically difficult, but they all lie well on the instrument and he also knew how to make the instruments sound really good. compositions date from the mid-70s and his last would be the second decade of this century so that's almost 40 years he's been writing organ pieces for and he wrote quite a number of them some of them are quite small others are much bigger like Adventus or Le Cercle de Lumière or The Widening Gyre. A lot of the more recent ones are in a sort of minimalistic style, but he nearly always combined this style with other influences. And there's always a sort of tune hidden somewhere, maybe inspired by Irish traditional music or not, but you're never far away from triadic music. So you get these minimalistic sounding pieces, but there's a lot more to it. And I think he had a very personal way of combining different elements. Eric's great interest was in rhythm. He was always interested in rhythm and he went back to Bartok, to Stravinsky, to all of these people who had very strong rhythmic elements to their music. And then the same thing with the minimalists like um, Steve Wright and Philip Glass. It was that these pulsating, driving rhythmic patterns and then just layered and layered on top of each other. And this was ideal for bringing his minimalism um, to life and to giving it that energy. But the other thing that I really like about Eric's music is that he had the ability to write a really good melody. 
he could write really, really beautiful melodies. Sometimes he would build the harmonic structures based on the actual melodic material. For instance, in um, the works where he used the Irish traditional tunes as his source material, then, you know, he would break down the tune and get rid of the repetitions until he just had the bare minimum. And then he would build his harmonies based on that. Amongst the many things that he established were the Waterford New Music Week. And I was invited as guest composer sometime in the early 2000s. So he was familiar with, say, my piece called In Winter Light. It was performed in Waterford in the same programme as a piece of Eric's called Walk, Don't Walk, both for flute and guitar. So we were crossing over yet again in the early 2000s. kind of revolutionary in a way because it was inclusive of a wide range of music of particular interest of course was being able to hear compositions by the students of the Waterford Institute of Technology. In some ways in the contemporary music scene in Ireland I am a little bit of an outsider because I'm a jazz composer. I've now written things that are not improvised. I wouldn't be, I don't think, considered to be in the inner circle of, of Irish contemporary composers and so for him to invite me to come and be the featured composer on Waterford New Music Week, I think was quite a statement of, again, open-mindedness and adventurousness. great visionary you know he chanced his arm and he got away with it eric got michael nyman over to wit we had louis andreessen in wit we ran the festival then for 19 years actually that went from strength to strength and it was a fantastic platform for aspiring irish composers so we would have postgrads and we would have some undergrads as well and then we would welcome people from around the country and other well-known composers to come and give master classes and performing groups as well and also his involvement with the cathedral music in Waterford. He was choir master there for 27 years. You know, so he was very much embedded himself in the community in Waterford. It 
in the last few years, it was really um, the operas he was working on. So we had the Invader, you had Ulysses. So you had the Greek mythology as the basis for these because Eric was very into mythology, you know, whether it was Irish, whether it was Greek mythology, and then also the Green Room as well. So that one, is, he described that as more sort of gothic as well. So um, he did uh, quite a lot of work on those in uh, the last few years. And he worked with um, Mark Roper, who would be a local poet. I think he was totally underappreciated and I know he felt the same as well. And I find that very sad that it's now that people are interested in him. It is just sad that Eric is not here to enjoy a celebration of his music and his life. And there will be plenty of those. Myself and Eric have been speaking about putting together a book about his music. So he was focusing on the life side of it and I was focusing on the music side of it and putting it together. And I will try to pursue that and see if we can get any publishers who will be interested in going down that way. And, you know, as Eric said, he used to joke and he used to say, you know, oh, Hazel knows more about my music than I do. And he'd I get these emails from people that had requested interviews or things with Eric. And like Eric said to ask you, instead In WIT, what we will do when we can, hopefully within the next six months, we're going to bring back, you know, students of Eric. And there's some quite high profile names there. And we're going to have a celebration of his music and perform some of his works and, you know, just make it a really nice, I think, um, celebration. It gives people a chance to actually come to terms with it and to produce something that uh, is of real value, you know, and there's some real quality to it instead of a, a knee jerk, you know, trying to sort of grab everything and put everything out there when it's still so raw and it's still so fresh with people as well. He'll be remembered for the great creative imagination that he had and the great courage that he had as well. The legacy is like, you know, how much he gave his students, how much uh, inspiring thoughts and everything to press ahead, to go out and to do things of their own, not to be afraid to take on challenges. His music will remain as well because it communicates with the listener. If you think of Eric at his funeral, I know the main word that was coming out there was gentleman. He was a lovely person. He was an absolute gentleman. And his personality, although he wasn't as flamboyant as, as Peter, he was extrovert in certain ways. And I think that comes out in his compositions.
Evening, The Lighthouse at Hookhead by Eric Sweeney, ending that feature on the composer. Our thanks to David Adams, John Buckley, Hazel Farrell, Ronan Guilfoyle and Gronny Mulvey for their contributions. For a list of all the music used in the episode, please see our show notes at cmc.ie forward slash amplify. You can also check out a feature on Eric's music as part of our Through the Digital Door series by CMC's Susan Brodigan. That's also linked in the show notes. We'll be back shortly with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening.